Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Comic Book Dungeon Podcast. This is Mark, and I am transporting from deep space in the uh, interplanetary comic book dungeon. <laughs> this is Cruz, uh, dwelling way underground in the uh, oh-so-frigid wasteland of the Wolf Spider Arena. <laughs> and we have a special guest again today. We have Super Steve from the Marvel Noise and Indie Noise Podcast. How are you doing today? All right, I'm out of the comic book bunker and into the comic book dungeon, apparently. <laughs> it's a lateral move. You're good. <laughs> I was going to say, they're, they're probably more similar than dissimilar. There was some tunneling involved. <laughs> yeah, with a spoon. <laughs> I just hung out in the corner since the last uh, I episode. Have, I have a question. Was that transporter what I think it was? Yes, he's been, Cruz has been several times to the comic book uh, dungeon, and uh, I have, we were just talking about this this weekend with my friend Schneider, I have these Star Trek coasters that play the transporter sound effect, and the first time he was out here, he was torturing the people upstairs above us by playing them all at once, over and over again, and then blaming me. Can you do like a rudimentary like song, like when you play the glasses with the like wet around the rim? <laughs> is it possible or could I do it? Because I'm sure a much you... more talented person could do so. <laughs> Transporter jingle bells. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right, goals. Goals for next time I go out there. <laughs> uh, your wife's going to hate me. <laughs> she, she's been planning to kidnap you, so I'm sure she'll she'll tolerate it for you. Are we, uh, uh, are we ready to jump into this issue? Because I'm quite let's... excited. Let's, yes, this was definitely an exciting issue in the uh, Marvel run of Star Trek. Okay, let's uh, set uh, set course, Warp Factor 1. Alright, so this is episode, I'm sorry, this is issue 5 from August of 1980. Uh, what did you individuals think of the cover? Uh, Frank fantastic. Miller. It's Frank Miller. It's Frank Miller. <laughs> I I mean, I'm a fan of this cover because this is the first step or issue that I bought of this. And as we were talking before the show, it's still in my comics archives from a Redford, Michigan bag, even though the company has long gone out of business. So this was, I bought it without having read the, uh, the first issue, which was made this somewhat confusing, but I do now, looking back on this, have one major gripe on this cover. Go, go ahead. Okay, so we have the woman who, the mysterious woman from the previous issue on the cover, and she is getting just phasered in the back by Dr. McCoy. And we have a plant, uh, floating Spock uh, head saying, shoot the girl or the Enterprise dies, and as McCoy, without asking any questions, lays, uh, just lays into her in the back. We get somebody who I assume is Captain Kirk saying, Bones, no. But that there is nothing about that that resembles Captain Kirk. And it, no. it took me a while to figure out somebody to compare him to. Has everybody here seen Super Troopers? Yeah. <laughs> that is Farva. <laughs> we, have okay. Cap- we have Farva in command of the Enterprise. And then we have Dr. McCoy killer question mark and we also have a uh, a bit of an off brand as well uh lieutenant ahura uh in front of the communication panel hey if ghost yeah, Spock says shoot the happened. girl you gotta shoot the girl it would only be logical 
I love that is the only thing Dr. McCoy has not argued with Spock about. <laughs> True. <laughs> Who knew that the common ground was just uh, indiscriminate killing? Yeah, well, it was the 80s after all, right? I just dig that this is a time at Marvel where Frank Miller was doing his thing on Daredevil and he bounced around and was doing various covers from everything from Rom Space Knight to Peter Parker Spectacular Spider-Man to, I mean, he was Marvel team-up. He did covers all over the place and even Star Trek. And it's such a Frank Miller girl with the uh, classic uh, uh, gray tone type um, kind of zip a tone uh, under the raised bottom of her dress as it's pulled up you kind of see the underside of her linens and it's got like a uh, one of those chemical zipatone sheets done on it very miller-esque uh-huh. both Cruz and i were talking before the show that we both had identified this as definitely a frank miller cover you had just <laughs> right? beaten us to the punch <laughs> right <laughs> And that would definitely stand up to a Klayon mind st- sifter. I would stick with that story. <laughs> so, oh, Frank Miller cover. Oh, we have Mike Barr, writer. Uh, Dave Cochran and Klaus Jansen are the artists. Joss Ken- uh, Constanza, letterer. Carl Gafford, colorist. Denny O'Neill and Louise Jones, captions. And Jim Shooter is our fleet admiral and editor. After we had our conversation about issue four and knowing that this two-parter was happening and the creative team changed as far as the writers and editors were concerned, it was due to the Marv Wolfman leaving. He had a contract dispute that year with uh, Marvel and left uh, basically over being able to edit the books that he was writing. He wanted to keep doing that. I personally don't really think that's usually a good idea to let the writer edit his own books. I would agree. But this, yeah. he left, and he left. He was the editor of this book as well as the writer guy. So I don't think there was any notes around the office as to what, as to how to get them out of the cliffhanger that we left them off at. This, this is Mike Barr's first uh, comic written. This is his debut. And Denny O'Neill is credited a few issues later in the letters page as co-plotting this issue with Mike Barr. And then he also co-edits the issue with with Wheezy, with Louise Jones, who then becomes the regular editor without Denny O'Neill. So it feels like a a rush scramble job where they kind of brought Denny O'Neill in to kind of help figure out how to get him out of here. (laughs) I wonder how this uh, series would have been different if Marv Wolfman had stayed on. Because last issue, we had established that that was clearly the Dracula. That wasn't just Dracula. That was the Marvel (laughs) Universe Dracula, which establishes that, because this takes place in 2273, this is the 2273 of the Marvel Universe. Well, not necessarily. We can, once we get to the um, catalyst for all of those appearances, we can debate that. Because, yeah, you could see it that way. Oh, but I have a different take. I, I I see where you're going with this. So you could you could you could take it that way as well. And did everybody catch the loose uh, Kill Raven connection in this issue? No, lay it on me. You guys are the Kill Raven experts oh. right now. We will we will get there. Uh, no, like I said, it is it is loose, but it is. Oh oh, oh yeah I, okay I okay. I just yeah I just picked it up. Got it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
So we uh, we open. We're on the haunting of the Enterprise, and I uh, I'm a big uh, <laughs> fan of the Andorians. So this was a sad first uh, first page for me because we open up. <laughs> it's always more... the dude with the antenna. Yep the uh, the uh, the we open up on the Andorian ensign just getting murdered by the Kleons with a outstanding onomatopoeia, which would be yeah. Cruz, if I had to uh, take a crack at that. You called? <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, the crickets were deafening. <laughs> we'll put some canned laughter in there. It'll be, it'll be all right. There, there you go. <laughs> okay, we get a, sabotage, yeah, so sabotage, nice. sabotage, sabotage, sabotage. <laughs> Every time you say that on Marvel Noise, I always laugh. Because that's a, that's a reference. You freaked me out for a minute. I thought that was coming from uh, from my phone that's still hooked in. <laughs> you scared me. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I didn't do it. Oh, that is me. It apparently started playing. Uh, that was it. It ended the soundtrack and it went to uh, Hammerfall. <laughs> I I took for granted we had another thirty minutes of uh, of music. This is us at our most professional. Anyway, uh, <laughs> edit that out. <laughs> No, I think our audience needs to uh, know about my occasional uh, uh, listening to of Hammerfall. No secrets. Anyway, I uh, uh, we open up and we get a nice summary of the last issue. And if you're joining us and you haven't listened to the last episode, just listen to the last episode. Uh, <laughs> the Enterprise finds a, a haunted house in space full of monsters. Bam, we're there. Yep, silver silver screen era monsters. Yes. And um, the man thing. And the man thing and a possible <laughs> Cthulhu. Yeah. <laughs> so we open up. Uh, the Kleons obviously are still attacking our landing party. The Enterprise is still facing off against a Kleon battlecruiser. Yep. So Kirk, uh, he uh, returns fire against these uh, Kleons, uh, hits them with a phaser on stun. And they laugh. Yeah, they do. We they do. Mock Federation. His, <laughs> yeah, his weak sauce phaser. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, Federation restraint means nothing. I, I appreciate that while this is going on, Dr. McCoy, he is doing something useful. He is uh, making sure, or he's trying to tend to the injured uh, uh, Andorian ensign, but he is beyond help. And then he turns his uh, tricorder on the uh, 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 mysterious woman who we know nothing about, which I got to say, I really appreciate sometimes when Captain or, or when Doctor McCoy was written in the original series. It's like sometimes he'd forget inexplicably he was a doctor or he should be doing something. So I appreciate that he's <laughs> he's there. That's my that's my favorite panel in the whole issue because it's like while McCoy is doing this and he's pontificating and there's like a lot of word words stuffed into those word balloons on on that panel. They still manage in the background to have just this Klingon fist coming from like out of the gutter and just <laughs> popping Kirk right in the face in the background. Kirk is off of his feet. I mean, he is like flying through the air. It's awesome. The Klingons are so aggressive here. You know, they're like diving on one panel and smashing furniture over Federation men and fists are flying out of gutters. Exactly. It, it, it looks like a freaking uh, an old WWF freaking ra- uh, Rage in the Cage brawl or something. Well, that is a, it absolutely does. And you have to hand it to Kirk. After getting knocked off of his feet with a Klingon punch, it doesn't even stop him. He's still communicating uh, with the Enterprise. You'd think he would have needed a couple seconds to recover. Right. 
But uh, lo and behold, you, you kind of find some of the motive behind our, our, our forehead-ridged adversaries here. And uh, they're, they're trying to do a little snatch and grab on Spock. Yeah, and their brilliant plan was to hit him with a chair. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, what they... I just like that for all, how much effort we see in this issue. They went into this plan, uh, into planning this. Their plan to when they met the landing party was just to knock him out with a wooden chair. Yeah. Well, they did have a bar stool, so. (laughs) (laughs) Chair will have to do. I do appreciate they took the extra step to to let us know that they were smashing his communicator to make it harder for the Enterprise to trace uh, Spock before they transport away with him. Yeah, yeah, that's that's hard to portray visually. So I, I get that they had to stick it into the dialogue somehow. You think that eventually they would go in the Star Trek franchise to like communicator implants? But I mean, I guess that that interferes a lot with storytelling. Yeah, that or yeah. It, it used to drive me crazy on like Next Gen or Deep Space Nine when how advanced their technology is if you're on the enterprise and you don't want to be tracked, all you have to do is just take off your communicator. (laughs) There's an episode where somebody, uh, they think somebody is dead on the enterprise D and Worf tells uh, like this ambassador, it would take them weeks to scan the enterprise to find a dead human. You would think with transporters and how advanced their technology is, it wouldn't take that long to, to like find a, uh, uh, somebody's corpse, but. I digress. Um, the tra- the uh, Klayons transport away with Spock. And the Enterprise crews transports away with the damsel in distress. Yeah, now that the uh, uh, they have the opportunity that the uh, the field that was preventing transporting is uh, has been uh, deactivated so the Klayons could get away, our, uh, our away team, minus the Endorian, uh, transport back. Oh. So they just I, left his body there? Well, I mean, just minus their... Well, they're minus Spock, but I meant they're minus one living member of the, the team. Oh, so it was not a, all right. Well, uh, I, hope they col- I hope they collected his remains. <laughs> but I always thought it was weird on the shows that they just shoot the bodies out of the torpedo tube. Like, this person's dead. Like, an hour, <laughs> we send a letter home, and then an hour later, we just shoot that into space. You'd think that uh, occasionally that a, a family would want a uh, body back. Yeah, I think oh, it goes with the old back in about a hundred thousand years. <laughs> Maybe it stems from maritime tradition of burial at sea. I just Absolutely. don't think McCoy wants the body uh, just uh, smelling up his sick bay, interfering with his drinking. <laughs> but uh, I Dude, they're kind of like I think it's kind of like Halley's Comet. They come back into orbit every uh, you know seventy-five years or so. You get your loved one back. Yeah, proper period of time for mourning. Yeah, there's like planets and uh, you you visit in Star Trek that just have all these uh, torpedoes just orbiting, full of dead Starfleet officers. <laughs> <laughs> Torpedo planet. You guys have ever watched uh, the short Prelude to Exenar? They or Axenar, They talk about that. That sometimes when reinforcement like Federation ships would arrive. They would say we were too late, but as soon as we would get out of warp, you'd hear things bouncing off the hull, and we'd see that they were bodies that had been uh, jettisoned during the battle. <laughs> Which is darker than Star Trek wow. usually gets. Um, 
Talking about darker than Star Trek usually gets, I love this word balloon from Kirk. We've got no choice, Bones, but I promise you, we'll return to the Federation with Spock and a lot of Cleon hides. It doesn't really seem to embody the uh, philosophy of Starfleet to me. No, but, you know, Kirk's always been a little gung-ho and has a, a natural, uh, rather strong dislike of uh, the Klingon species. This is true. Hey, they've got Spock. He's, he's getting emotional. I True. mean, the, the slash fan fiction of the internet was founded around Kirk Spock uh, uh, fan fiction. So, yes, I mean, they do have a very tight relationship. <laughs> that, that's true, though. That, that's what pioneered the slash fan fiction. Also, if you guys have ever turn, uh, heard the term in uh, literature, a Mary Sue, that was coined from Star Trek fan, uh, uh, fiction from fanzines in the 70s. Really? Yeah. Elaborate. Yeah. What is a Mary Sue? Sorry, I haven't heard that term before. A Mary Sue is say it when the author is say putting uh, like uh, an avatar from themselves in the story, and the person can do anything and is the center of the story, and they 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 can just basically everything revolves around them and their ability to do everything. So kind of a dirty definition, but that would be a Mary Sue. And oh. somebody made a satire of fiction that people were writing around Star Trek in the 70s, and they created a character, Lieutenant Mary Sue. And that's where that term comes from. Got it. <clears throat> I'm blanking now they, Oh, go ahead. Now they call it a Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> or if you watch Discovery, uh, a Michael Burnham. <laughs> oh. Oh. Ding. I actually, I, I really do enjoy we, we go to the Klingon ship we, and we see some uh, an exchange here between Spock and the uh, Klingon captain, which I think this was uh, he was handled very well here. Yeah, he's a reasonable guy. It seems uh, that that's 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 very Star Trekky to me. When you know you've you're you've got a captive, but he's he's not they're not standing there torturing him or throwing him to the ground and making him lick his boot or something. They can have a conversation, and he knows his position, and he's not going to fight back yet. Uh, I, I thought it was all very civilized. Yes. <clears throat> a little more civilized than I expected out of the Klingons, but Spock is, a, Spock is an asset. As, as they're con, con, uh, conversating, they kind of give away what their underlying motives are, which are to investigate this new warp drive on the Enterprise. And since Spock is kind of the authority on it, they want him to pick his brain later. <clears throat> Yeah, correct. The uh, this is right after the motion picture where the Star Trek or the the Enterprise had undergone a two year refit. So the Klingons are very interested in getting intelligence on how the uh, these new state of the art engines work. But on the bottom panel, <clears throat> you, you cut to uh, a, a figure that's uh, fully encased in what looks like some sort of a uh, retro futuristic spacesuit. On uh, what it can only be described as the lazy boy from the future. What that really <laughs> reminds me of is it looks a lot like uh, Shyar technology to me, mm. from like the uh, like the Cochrane issues of uh, X Men in a few years. Yeah, certainly the helmet, right, with the sort of uh, insect insectoid type helmet, and the that was done previously. Some the, the Shyar stuff had already happened by now. Oh, yep, you're absolutely right. And yeah, the, the chair is a little bit reminiscent, too, of the Shire chair that Professor X would eventually get. Ooh, nice. 
Yeah. I thought just seeing him there sitting in that kind of reclined pose made me think of like the Geiger design in the first Alien movie of yes. the big yes. giant alien sitting there. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? <clears throat> so we cut back to the Enterprise and our uh, crew. Uh, we can see that at the start date, the uh, Spock has been uh, held captive now for a few hours. Our crew has time to uh, come back, change, and now they're talking to uh, their captive Raytag. And uh, talking about unfederation-like, uh, Raytag is being uncooperative. He had warned our, our, our people last issue, our uh, heroes last issue, that Doom was going to befall them, but he's not giving them any straight answers, and Dr. McCoy just out of nowhere threatens to give him truth serum. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, they don't have Spock there to do a mind meld against his will, so... Uh, Dr. McCoy here is just going to throw down with some uh, some uh, chemical incentives. A little for you, a little for me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, before he can start uh, with the interrogation, <laughs> uh, our, our, our ship have, uh, falls under attack, apparently. Yeah, we see that the uh, Kleons are... Uh, oh, before we, uh, we leave the scene... Raytag, he hints that he knows who this mysterious woman is, but he refused to tell, refuses to tell her. Uh, the ship starts bouncing around. We see the Kleons, uh, the, uh, the uh, piece is over with here that they, uh, we've enjoyed, and that they are going, they've started opening fire on the, uh, the Enterprise. That seems to be a rather directed attack, because the only thing that's really damaged would be uh, the warp engine, so they're, they're basically immobilized. They can't escape, and they're they're kind of sucking it up and staying put. I was really baffled here. We get a uh, we get a panel here where Doctor or Doctor McCoy, where Captain Kirk says, "Thank you, Mister Chekhov. Patch me through to engineering." Lieutenant Hora has one job on the bridge, and that is to facilitate communication. Why you would get Chekhov, who's the chief of security, to do that is uh, weird to me. Yeah, I wonder if Chekhov was mentioned anywhere else in the issue. <laughs> Maybe they needed to get a get a mention in there. I don't see Lieutenant Uhura in the background. Maybe she was just off the bridge using the bathroom or something for a minute, and so uh, Chekhov was uh, filling in for her. Yeah, yeah. She was, like, fighting a zombie in the in the back room. <laughs> this page, though, that that scene occurs on, I think is the best rendered page, especially on the inks. It looks like Jansen really spent some time, especially on the last panel. It's a six-panel grid, but the last panel particularly that has the funny uh, lighting on it to show Kirk's dramatic face, but the rendering on it is fantastic. Yeah, this is I think this is, the, in terms of likenesses, this is uh, the best we see this issue. I also enjoy the top right panel. Kirk looks really built there. <laughs> it's that shirt, you know. It's that style of uh, it, and it looked that way in the movies somewhat too. When they had that again, you talked the last episode about all the different costume and uniform designs and how they were really looking to showcase those different outfits. And this is, you know, like the wife beater version, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I, the the T shirt. I have a theory here, and this is supported in Star Trek canon. I think, as you're right, that we see that in the movie. My theory is every time he washes that shirt, it's getting a little bit smaller, and that's why he keeps <laughs> looking more and more built. And in the original series, the costumes, when they would watch the, wash the velour costumes, they would shrink. And that's why you would see a lot of the extras would be on the smaller side, because they could usually get three uses out of a uniform or out of a costume. It's like 
the main cast would use it once. Then you get a medium-sized actor, then like a small actor, and that was it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. I believe that's from William Shatner's Star Trek uh, uh, Memories Memoir book, so I don't think I've ever seen that anywhere else. So maybe that's not 100% true, but that that was in his book, so I'm taking it as gospel fact. (laughs) Oh, nice. <clears throat> we uh, go to do- uh, sickbay where we've got Dr. McCoy and Dr. Chapel, and they're analyzing his tricorder readings of the mysterious woman. All right, and he's, 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 he's all surprised, you know, and the next panel kind of shows him, like, with a almost shocked look on his face, like, I've got to tell Jim this at once. These readings are weird. And this does not paint Dr. McCoy in the best light. Because he fed the readings through the the computer, and really all it tells him is that she's not human. You think when he saw those readings, when he was reading them, that he would be able to, as a somebody who's been like a doctor for thirty years, know that that right. indicated she's not human. Right. Ah uh, well. And so yeah, we uh, after this we cut over to life support engineering in the very bowels of the Enterprise. This reminded me of a conversation we had on our Star Trek Next Generation Top 10 episode where these guys, their whole job is just to monitor like the life support on the ship to make sure it's working. And we had talked hmm. about, like, say, every episode where you see like a main character like travel backward in time or you know, meet a mysterious alien um, and have a, like a sexy relationship, how many ensigns are back on the Enterprise and their whole job that day is to inventory the tricorders or to make sure that like every phaser on the ship is uh, uh, has been charged. Right, like, yeah. They just have an eight-hour <laughs> ship that that's all they're doing is inventorying like a cargo bay. And these are those guys. Yep. Uh, little do they know. They're in for quite a surprise. Yeah, that monster almost reminds me of the one of the... I think it was... Uh, Camilla Frost's mount from the Amazing Adventures issues, like her saber-toothed, like, were-griffin that she was riding around the last few issues, looked a little <laughs> right. bit like that. The, it, was, it was, what, the, the rhino cougar or something? Something like that. It was real bizarre. But yeah, these two guys who were talking about how they're in the safest part of the ship, they're attacked by a giant monster, reminiscent of some of the monsters that we saw last issue. Yep. And, uh... You know, the situation is, is not unique to uh, life support engineering. There's there's various attacks going on uh, all over the ship. Uh, and one of them's got, I don't know, I don't know if this would be considered, it's, it doesn't really, you know, because I want to say Cthulhu-esque, but really it, it, it could just be a giant octopus with eyeballs. I'm not sure. It's Or like, a, yeah, it has that Cthulhu look to it for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think it's Kang from the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Maybe. Appearance. I have to commend the uh, the artists on these issues. The movie had introduced a very diverse crew on the Enterprise, and it was part of the background information that the Captain Decker had personally put together the crew himself, and it was the most diverse crew of any star uh, ship in Starfleet history. So I'm glad that they carried that over uh, in the comics. Yeah, well, the crew's not the only diverse thing. I mean, the monsters attacking them are, t- are pretty diverse as well. Uh, you've got giant centipedes. You've got ships. Uh, I mean, that, that they're very reminiscent of the original, uh, not the original, but the, the first War of the Worlds movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, soak that in for a second. You, they're showing these scenes from around the Enterprise, and like, there's little, you know, H.G. Wells Martian saucers flying up and down the corridors of the Enterprise, shooting at crewmen as they flee in terror. And that is our Kill Raven uh, 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 connection right there, because the uh, Kill Raven series takes place in the same universe as the H.G. Wells book. That's the right. the Martians and that yeah are the second coming. So my question is, where is that taking place at? The, yeah, right. The only it's got to be a cargo bay. <laughs> I think in the original Enterprise, the only part of the ship that would be big enough to have something that size flying around would be the shuttle bay. Yeah, yeah. good place for little shuttles. Yep, and, and who knew? I mean, how forward thinking were they that they they were gonna you know. Uh, forecast the uh, Game of Thrones with the White Walkers freaking coming on the scene. <laughs> I want to imagine that that uh, Martian attack is taking place. Uh, uh, it's hinted at, there's a couple places in the original lore that the Enterprise had a bowling alley. I want to imagine that those guys were on the bowling alley. And that's <laughs> where the uh, War of the World stuff is happening. Nice. Uhura makes her uh, cameo on this page too, so if there was some sort of um, mandate to include a mention of all of the main characters, maybe that's why they needed to have that checkoff reference before, because Ohura's getting hers here. She looks a little mad there, and I, I assume that she's probably angry by that oh, because of that snub by Captain Kirk. You know, I've been sitting here three hours <laughs> with nothing to do, and you told Chekhov to right. call down to engineering. Yeah. That's literally <laughs> the only purpose of this console in front of me. Right. So she's drawn really well, though. She's drawn really angry, <laughs> for sure. I also, the Klingon battlecruiser, that uh, zoom in on the forward section, looks really, really good on that next page. That's probably my favorite panel in terms of just the, just the, the, the aesthetics of it in this entire issue. Dave Cockrum really cared about this stuff. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. <clears throat> And uh, we cut back to uh, Spock and the Cleons. They're uh, they're showing him their uh, the secret behind their uh, their weapon here. Yeah, uh, why are okay? Let's set setting aside for a bit. But why the hell are they monologuing? Because we have pages to fill. No, yeah, but I, I okay, fine. Pages to fill. Full on. Why are you going to give your prisoner full on details of how you're accomplishing your task? Well, that the the Klingon captain in this case, uh, this is his name is Captain Exposition. So that is how he got <laughs> that name. So he, uh, um, one thing here because we talked about last issue, they tried to stay away from stuff from the original series. We have a panel here where he's threatening uh, Spock with a Klingon mind sifter. Spock is put through a Klingon mind sifter in the original series episode um, with the Organians. Oh, what's the name of that episode? Uh, Errand of Mercy. Oh. I think they snuck a few in there. Or when they brought this new, these new people on, they didn't maybe necessarily make it clear that we should be staying away from some of that as much as possible. Right, right. Do we finally find out what's causing all of these monsters? This is a ridiculous explanation. So the the guy who's in the Shire armor, we find out that he was on a spacecraft that weeks ago drifted into Klingon space, and his claim to fame is he's a horror film uh, 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 archivist who is that is that how you pronounce that? 
Sure, an archivist. Yeah, there Archi- we go. Yeah. Archivist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I cannot speak today. Yeah, archivist. And uh, he, uh, that's his claim to fame. They killed everybody else, but the guy who knows about 20th century horror movies, and I think that this is what you were hinting at, uh, Steve, that you think he was also an expert on comic books, and that's why. Yeah, I think he was a Bronze Age Marvel Comics fan for sure. We saw the Man Thing, we saw Dracula, we saw Frankenstein monster as portrayed in those <laughs> old Marvel issues too. You know. Yeah, I I choose to believe that 20th century Earth, when like the eugenics wars were going on, GI Joe was there, the Transformers were there, the Avengers were there. I just. <laughs> the Martians took over briefly in the uh, early 2000s. Uh, we beat them back. The Badoon is going to eventually take over Earth and the Federation uh, in several hundred years. I want to believe that this is all in the, the main Marvel Universe. Man. Well, they, they did do those X-Men uh, Star Trek crossovers in the 90s, didn't they? They did. The, uh, the highlight of that is when Kirk starts hitting on Jean Grey. Yeah. <laughs> right in Who front wouldn't? of Cyclops. What's he going to do? <laughs> I forget who it is. I think it's like Colossus who explains to him like, like that's that's Cyclops' wife and Kirk immediately backs off. But uh, it was uh, they were real interesting. I would recommend those. Ditto. I thought you were you were talking about the Kiraven reference because there was <clears throat> there was one issue uh the next to last one I believe where uh you know our 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 merry band of heroes wandered down to Miami. And they can't. He came upon uh, this guy that was stuck in this weird assembly who had the power to project his dreams. Yeah, and we never get an explanation yet. He was an astronaut who has the ability to project his dreams, and he's just been sitting in a museum for like the last fifteen years, and we have no explanation of how he's still alive or why he was there. Yeah, right. And this is really similar to what we're seeing here. And that's what I first thought when I was reading it. Like, oh, is this guy has some sort of latent sonic power? But, but no, it's in a completely different set of circumstances. The Klingons had developed this uh, machine that would turn a man's thoughts into hard constructs on, like, out of, what did they say, hydrogen atoms or something in the air? Yeah, which I don't understand why that would fool a tricorder, but I'll go with it. But for from that, they when they found this group of people, they were like, ooh, this guy, he's got some twisted, you know, <laughs> memories, so let's connect it to him and weaponize him? Yeah, I mean, he's seen Frankenstein. Kill the rest. This is the most useful guy. Then, in those weeks that passed since they found him, they completely retrofitted a space station to look like a haunted house that's so authentic it would fool the senses of all of our Starfleet characters and even have a wooden chair in it to break over Spock's back. I mean, that that's committing to the plan right there. Yes. They were all in. So when Kirk broke the window last issue... Was that just inside, like the like a camouflage dome of the space station, or did he oh. break a window into space and there was just a force field keeping that air in that they couldn't uh, that they just they couldn't identify? Maybe that's what made the Klingons so angry. They're like, oh, you, I, I got to fix that window. We, you know how much that window cost? Do you have any idea how close to oblivion we all are? We set this up for you, but we didn't know you were just going to start breaking everything in the place immediately upon transporting in. <laughs> Plus, if out of all the people you could have put in this chair, 
you have this insane guy Raytag, who they we 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 found out what an insane lunatic he is that first issue. He's the guy I would put in there, or I would find a old grizzled Cleon warrior who's been in a hundred different campaigns on a hundred different planets. The crazy uh, things that he could probably project on the Enterprise crew that would be much more frightening than you know Dracula and Frankenstein. No, we need the horror movie archivist. Damn it, he's the best qualified for this. I mean, did they do an interview? Like they got all those people on the ship. Like, what do you do? Like, I'm an attorney. Like, what do you do? Like, oh, I'm a sculptor. What do you do? I've seen old movies. What kind of movies? Horror movies. This is our guy. <laughs> they ran him all through the mind sifter. And like, man, this guy's seen some fucked up shit. Let's get him. Do you think that? Because we've seen Star Trek VI, how into Shakespeare Cleons are. Do you think this is the guy who first uh, introduced Cleons to Shakespeare? <laughs> oh, the horror. Yeah. He's like, I, there's two things I know. He's like, I know Othello and I know horror movies. Well, what is this? And they introduced him, and that's, that's really where that uh, love of uh, Earth culture for uh, Cleons began. Well, that almost explains everything, but what's the deal with the Raytag guy? Like, why is he... He's something, right? I mean, he was the one. He knows something. He was laughing sinister at the end of the uh, last issue. He he monologues it in a couple of panels previously, where it's like, you know, Raytag has this, un, you know, an unreasonable hate of the Federation. So they implanted a receiver in him so that this uh, spaceman's uh, thoughts could be broadcast into the Enterprise. This makes no sense. <laughs> they said, well, why did you use Raytag? Because he hates the Federation. Why does he hate the Federation? Because you guys were going to bring him back. You had already put the transceiver in his head and given right. and allowed him to be captured by the Federation to go back. So shouldn't he hate you, for uh, the Kleons, for doing that to him and then, using, then giving him to the Federation? Yeah, I, that's why I was wondering, yeah. when did they have access to him to put the thing in there, it, surgically? I mean, his hate is the chicken or the egg. Like, what came first? He hates the Federation <laughs> for this thing that hasn't happened yet, but that we forced into motion. Especially, it, you couldn't have gotten a sane asset. Like, oh, we surgically altered a Cleon to be a part of the crew or something like that. This crazy guy who's going to be hinting at our plot the whole time. It just it seemed very loosely based. Or just not a very good plan. Uh, let's and, change his and, name from Retech to Plot Device. And how about the amazing device that they've created that turns a man's thoughts into reality? Like, I'm with Spock here where he's like, isn't this a kind of trivial use for this kind of weaponry? We have something that makes the holodeck in uh, the next generation, which is like 80 years later, look like nothing. But we're going to use this to what? to spy on engines that are slightly better than ours. <laughs> There's this technology yeah. that's 100 years more advanced than yours we're going to use to get technology that's like five, five years more advanced than ours. I mean, it's, it's a bit ridiculous. Well, all right, it might be sketchy, but that tries to explain everything except the girl. We still don't know what her deal is. Um, we do not. Uh, they, we do get a, a panel here where they do explain that how they got the, uh, horror movie archivi archiv archivist, I don't know why I'm having trouble with that, uh, are there, is there like a, is he like officially part of the Federation, is there like a romance 
like um, archivists for like uh, the Federation. I mean, it's just that it seems very bizarre. But they uh, they they got they they seduced him with the technology because he first used it to create uh, recreate his dead wife. Then they drugged him, and that's when he started making these monsters. So we do know that his uh, dead wife is in play. So we do know that that's probably going to factor into this. All right. Yeah, yeah, and I also Spock notices. Uh, you know, he looks a little purple. Don't yeah. know if that's okay. Don't know if that's healthy. <laughs> should should he be blue? He uh, it didn't come up, but he was also really into kids movies, and he had recreated the uh, the blueberry uh, pie <laughs> formula from Willy Wonka. So he's uh, he's that that's why he's so purple. He's got some violent Beauregard issues going on. <laughs> I don't know. It's just you're right. He's very purple, and his eyes are white. He looks like he's wearing like a Robin mask. On the middle yeah, of he's, he's got the whole Doctor Manhattan thing looking going on. But that's Spock's angle. He says to the his captor, he's like, he doesn't look too good. That guy over there. Right. Yeah. I I, I honestly think that was just a bit of a pull. I so he can get a little closer. That's right. You know, he's just kind of like. Yeah, he's just like, you know, let me look. What, what's going to happen? Your superior is right across the way. You can call out. Yeah. We're good. I, I thought it was a ploy until Steve showed like how purple that guy is. No, this is there's clearly something wrong with him. So uh, we flash back to the Enterprise. Uh, every deck is being besieged by monsters, and uh, they figure out pretty quick that if you put your phaser on kill, it will destroy these creatures. So again, it, it doesn't... It, would it... With what you could do with this technology, sending easily killed monsters aboard the Enterprise, it doesn't seem like it's a very effective strategy. Okay, break, 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 break right here. All right, now, I, I'm no chemist or anything <laughs> like that. I think Steve might have a clue where I'm going on this one, but um, if, if these creations are made out of, you know, readily free available hydrogen atoms <laughs> and they're shooting them with phasers and they're kind of like little explody freaking you know wouldn't there be like some big freaking explosions just rocking the interior of the enterprise right now what what i'm wondering is if it's taking those base atoms but then like how the replicators uh, can rearrange energy into whatever matter it needs. I wonder if that's what this technology is doing. It's using the hydrogen molecules and actually, uh, through an energy conversion process, turning them into living matter. And that's why the uh, tricorders were having so many issues. Uh, telling me is basically at the end of this what happens is spock takes this device back or you know they, they spock has you know they eventually take this technology reverse engineer it and now we have replicators in next generation it's they don't really do a good job in the original series or the movies because in the original series they didn't have replicators they had what were called food synthesizers or food slots and how those differ from a replicator it, it i don't believe it's a i I, I think they it, it wasn't doing the matter uh, 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 transmogrification that it does in the uh, next gen, but they were very vague on the explanations in the original series. So I will buy your explanation that this is how we got replicators through this stupid use of such <laughs> advanced technology. Uh, you said transmogrification. <laughs> Damn it, Mark! I'm a guest co-host, not uh, not a chemist. <laughs> <laughs> I think at the 
Klingons were after anything, they should have been after the uh, laser tag security technology that the uh, Enterprise security officers are using. Which, you can't tell in this, like, when we see them in this episode, but if you look at those costumes from the movie, it looks like it's a terry cloth uniform with, like, cheap plastic armor over it. It's, it's quite funny. But uh, we see the, the uh, monsters are appearing all over the Enterprise. They're uh, uh, appearing on the bridge. We're shooting first, asking questions later. We, uh, and then we uh, go back to the uh, Klingon vessel. So uh, Spock is still negotiating with his captors to, uh, to examine our uh, purple Shyar crewman. And, uh, and he points out, or he, he gets uh, enough trust from the Klingons to do so. And he does, of course, what we think he's going to do. He's going to do a Klingon mind, or a, Klingon, a Vulcan mind meld. And we get the Professor X sort of psychic energy coming off of him when he does it, which is kind of neat. I thought this was a really clever way for him to send a message back to the Enterprise. Yeah, I was, I was waiting for it, the whole issue. And it was like, when, as soon as we figured out how the psychicness works and what he was trying to do. But yeah, it was very, very well. Uh, well I, I'd say out of anything else in this issue, this was the most well thought out uh, uh, use of the, the universe. And so, yeah. And, and now you, you finally get the cover moment in the issue, you know, with Ghost Spock. Jim, Jim. The girl's the key. Destroy her, or the episode, or the Enterprise falls. Destroy, and so he fades away. Spock and or Kirk and McCoy, they're debating about what to do. McCoy here, he figures it out. He knows that she's not human. He figures out Spock said destroy, not kill. She was never really alive. That's enough for us, uh, McCoy, to take a phaser and disintegrate her. Yep, and that uh, that kind of wakes. Our boy on the Klingon ship. Oh, I love this top panel on the next page. The uh, woman next to Sulu, that's Chief DeFalco. She's the she took over the helm position after Alia uh, uh, was ah. killed in the movie. Her eyes are huge, like they're bugging out. <laughs> her. Yeah, she's quite surprised. Um, but yeah, the monsters are gone, and for uh, reasons. All the monsters have now appeared on the uh, the Klayon ship, and we'll get an explanation for that in a minute. Something must have happened to the conduit. Boom, boom. So when boom. the they clay uh, they killed the projection of our horror uh, 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 archivist's wife. Uh, the psychic feedback from that uh, killed Raytag. So without the receiver, it sent all those monsters back to the Klayon ship. So they are laying waste to the ship, which enables Spock to do his uh, patented Vulcan uh, um, nerve pinch. So I wonder if we're going to see one of those happen every issue. I wouldn't say every issue, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess more often than not. It's his move. Yeah, it's his move for sure. So I got I to... Gotta, now looking at this, I have to disagree with, uh, with uh, Steve that your analysis that this isn't the Marvel Universe. I think that this clearly is Shi'ar technology that the clans are using. That's why it's so far in advance of what they have and why it's so important for uh, Spock to get it back. I think that this is, a sh- this is evidence indisputably that this is a shared Marvel Universe. The Martians, the Shi'ar, the Phoenix, it's all there. Right. Man thing. 
Man just, thing. <laughs> it just never came up on an episode of uh, of Star Trek before that you know. Oh yeah, my 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 cousin's a mutant. My grandfather was a Spider Man. Yeah, it's, it's all there. The Age of Heroes, yes. right? So in all the confusion, Spock he gets the technology. He gets our uh, our uh, uh, horror um, archivist who he's kind of out of it. He thinks that everything that happened to him was a dream. Uh, they're able to transport back on the uh, to the Enterprise, and they uh, go straight to the bridge. I love how they arrive yeah, just as anymore. Kirk is about to like. Right, he's he's that that mind meld was all he needed. Clear his head a little, but I love how they appear on the bridge right as Kirk is about to, you know, go to the weapons chamber and load up, and they were about to mount a boarding party and get that posse over there and get Spock back. And right as they're about to give the go order, Spock appears. He's like, no, I, I'm good. I think that, yeah. that the timing of that had to happen like that, because I assume their shields have been up this whole time. So right when they were, he's like, we're going to uh, board the ship, their shields are down. They must have just dropped shields, and that's exactly why Kurt or Spock was able to come in just at that moment. He was probably sitting in the transporter room for the last five minutes waiting for shields to drop. Yeah, like a Swiss watch. <clears throat> oh, you know, the finely oiled plan that came together. Before we go to the last page, uh, we got another hostess ad, and this one is by far my favorite of the hostess ads. This is the Incredible Hulk versus the Roller Disco Devils, and uh, <laughs> the whole point of this episode or this 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 ad is there's people who aren't really doing anything wrong. There's just these roller skate the guys on roller skates listening to loud music, and so. Uh, it's for some reason preventing these kids from going to be able to buy fruit pies. So the Hulk grabs a piece of the street and rolls these guys up in the concrete, in the cement. Like, you can see that guy on the bottom. He's clearly dead. I mean, his legs and spine <laughs> have been killed. I mean, Absolutely. He's, yeah, he's, like, lengthwise being rolled up in this uh, cement burrito. And in, in the roll on the next panel, the skates are sticking out like it's the Wicked Witch of the East, you know, <laughs> sticking out from underneath Dorothy's house. I also love the music they're listening to. Yeah, yeah, baby. Woo, woo. Roll rock. Yeah, yeah. And for that... Rock roll. Yeah, for that, <laughs> they, they all had to be murdered. Sadly, yes. in front of these children. But yeah. If the kids aren't traumatized. They got their fruit pies, man. They're good to go. I guess it was worth it then. But uh, we go to our last page where the Enterprise, they head back to uh, Star, uh, the Federation, and they go to Starbase 16, where they deliver the alien technology and uh, the remains of uh, Raytag and the, uh, the Federation's most uh, valuable asset, our horror film um, archivist. Yes. And, uh, you know, Spock is, of course, egging... Uh, I mean, uh, Bones is, of course, egging Spock on, and uh, they go back to bickering like an old married couple. Well, yeah, McCoy points out that it was human emotion that saved Spock, which I don't think Spock would refute that. But as a, uh, I mean, as a counterpoint, Kirk wasn't sure that that wasn't a Klingon trick, but that vague hint by Spock was enough to get McCoy to murder a woman in cold blood. So, I mean, I think that's, the, that's ammunition Spock should be using back, but we have a good laugh instead. Yeah, it's very trekky. I was hung up a little bit on that 
Spock and McCoy being suggested for commendations. I'm like, how about the ensign that was killed on page one? How about him? Posthumous. This was something that always bothered (laughs) me in the original series. You would have them like share a laugh, and there's several episodes where they, they end on that jokey freeze frame. There's like three people dead in like McCoy's morgue, and literally one just died eight minutes ago, and we're already laughing and joking about it. Like you said, like the, there's an Andorian that is literally like his carcass is cooling in sick bay right now, and we're all having a good laugh about this mission. Uh, well, yeah, there you go. That's the '80s for you, you pretty think, much. Do you think Kirk still even like remembers that guy's dead? I think when it probably comes, not. I think when it comes to like uh, dead crewmen, he has like a goldfish like style memory. I mean, he's, <laughs> yeah, he'll make a big speech in that moment, and five minutes later, like he forgets all about it. Yeah. There's always more crew. Uh, yeah, there's always there's always more willing people that want. I mean, universe. If you're below the rank of lieutenant commander, it's like pulling your finger out of a glass of water. Water just fills it back in. I mean, I don't think he even bothered <laughs> to learn those people's names. Like, if you ever watch the Next Generation, like Riker and Picard, <laughs> they're going around that ship that has like a thousand people on it. And they're grading people by name and asking about their wife and kids. I guarantee on that original uh, Enterprise that had a uh, crew of like, it was 418. If you put like 10 people in the lineup, not only would he not know their names, but I bet you he has like insulting nicknames for them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. There's Fat Guy, there's Hair Lip, there's, yeah. I mean, he just seems like that sort of guy. A bit of a Michael Scott. Hmm. What were your guys' thoughts on this? In, implemented some sort of. I thought it's. I thought it was very. I thought it felt like a piecemeal creative team. Like I had said earlier, I, I couldn't help but feel like they were trying to write them out of the mess that Marv had written them into. But I still think Kirk was very Kirky. We got to see him do like decisive, you know, away mission decisions and that kind of stuff. We got to see bones being very bonesy. The, even the little back and forth between him and Spock at the end felt star Trekky to me and, and Spock was Spocky. So I, I don't have a lot to complain about in, in that regards. I felt like it was such a crazy situation though, that, I mean, we left them last issue and with, in such crazy circumstances that how could the explanation not have been wacky? So I just accepted it. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a wacky little trip. If you look at the third season of the original series, this isn't any more whacked out than a bunch of those episodes, or even I think it was from season one, Cat's Paw, where two fraggles take human form and they menace uh, the, uh, the Enterprise with a haunted castle and a giant cat. So, I mean, this, <laughs> this this actually reminded me a lot of that episode, but it, despite the hasty explanation at the end that you could tell, just, eh, don't look too in, too much into this, I really like this issue. It, like you said, yeah. it, it dialed, it, it hit all the check marks you're looking for, and I thought the hand, the characters, except for, like, the, let's give them truth serum instantly and whatnot, I think uh, more <laughs> or less, uh, I think it was handled pretty well. And then we get next issue. A baffling murder aboard the Enterprise endangers interplanetary peace and the career of Captain Kirk. Be here for the Enterprise murder case. 
<laughs> well, that sounds exciting. If you look at the cover of that next issue too, the the guy's costume again it, it reminds me a little bit of uh, like the Shire in terms of uh, some of what we see they they wear in those early uh, X Men appearances. So you can definitely hey. tell this is Dave Cochran. Yeah, that's just it, right? I mean, Dave Cockrum's going to be Dave Cockrum no matter what he's doing, whether he's doing the designs for the Shire and the X-Men characters or he's doing the Legion of the Superheroes. Those costumes just look look a lot alike, and so does his spaceships. And his, it, uh, It's very Cockrum. But I love Cockrum, so it's all good. Yeah, the, the art on this one was really good. Uh, uh, we... Uh... I, I'm, I'm hoping that Dave Cochran stays on the book. I haven't uh, peeked ahead. And uh, I have a good feeling, because this next issue, I can't wait to dive into it, because uh, according to the issue, this Marvel comic could be worth uh, $2,500 to me. So, <laughs> I have this and a couple, uh, a couple promising me a Toys R Us shopping spree, so I think good things are happening for me in 2020. Do you remember why they nice. did that on the on those things on the covers for and having been a lad buying comics off the shelf at that time it, it really um affected my buying habits Marvel held back on price increases that DC um passed along to their readers for quite some time, Marvel was twenty-five cents. Marvel was still only twenty-five cents when DC went up, but um, when Marvel finally had to—I think it was when they went to thirty-five cents, perhaps—they said that they, um, as a uh, caveat to the readership, they would do a couple of um, stunt type of um, sweepstakes. So that's why we got those banners: the Toys R Us spree and the. Uh, the other one. Yeah, I had forgotten all about that until I saw these issues. But yeah, I I, I have a bunch of these and like yeah, the Toys R Us uh, uh, shopping sprees, and I'd forgotten I'd forgotten all about that until I picked these up. But when you only got two bucks to buy comics each week, and you know you can get five Marvel comics, or you can get you know three DC comics and have a little change. Um, it, it that that ten fifteen cents made a big difference. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Any uh oh, again, I want to thank you for coming on. This has been a lot of fun, Steve. I appreciate that you did uh you did one and you had so much fun. Uh you came yeah. back for the second. Yeah, thanks for humoring me and having oh, me yeah. back so I could do the second half of it. Uh I'm going to make some popcorn and I'm going to tune into the next episode to hear all about the murder. Great murder mystery time coming up next. <laughs> thanks guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> all right. And uh, I just want to remind our fans out there, remember, everybody, if you're going to call down to engineering, make sure you ask anybody but the communications officer to make that call for you. <laughs> right. Chekhov's my man. <laughs> Have the guy who speaks broken English that even the uh, universal translator can't parse it out all the way make all those important calls for you. Good night, everybody. Right, but... <laughs> Good night. I could just hear that call coming in now. <laughs> on the on the static from the communicator and it's like Chekhov's voice and you're like what? Did he say molarity or molality? <laughs> I think he said nuclear vessel. <laughs> I was working in the lab late one night 
my eyes beheld an eerie sight For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the match He did the monster match The monster match It was a graveyard smash He did the match It caught on in a flash He did the match He did the monster match From my laboratory in the castle east To the master bedroom vampires peace. The ghouls all came from their humble abode to get a jolt from my electrode. They did the mash. They did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. They did the mash. It caught on in a flash. They did the mash. They did the monster mash. The zombies were having fun. The party had just begun. The guests and his son The scene was rocking all were digging the sounds Igor on chains back by his baying hounds The coffin bangers were about to arrive With their vocal group The Crypt Kicker Five They played the match They played the monster match The monster match It was a graveyard smash They played the match It caught on in a flash They played the match They played the monster match Out from his coffin rack's voice did ring Seemed he was troubled by just one thing Opened the lid and shook his fist and said Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the mash It's now the monster mash The monster mash And it's a graveyard smash It's now the mash It's caught on in a flash It's now the mash It's now the monster mash Now everything's cool, Drax's a part of the band And my monster mash is the hit of the land For you, the living, this mash was meant to When you get to my door, tell them what is sick Then you can mash Then you can monster mash The monster mash And do my graveyard smash Then you can mash You'll catch on in a flash Then you can mash Then you can monster mash Spock, sabotage the system. Okay, do you have lines 193 again with uh, sabotage and sabotage? I don't say sabotage. You say sabotage. I say sabotage.